Hello, everyone, and welcome to Morals and Markets, the podcast, presented by the Atlas Society and hosted by Atlas Society senior scholar and professor of political economy at Duke University, Dr. Richard Salzman. Over the next few weeks, you'll notice that we are posting fresh episodes of Morals and Markets, the podcast, from the vault, meaning episodes that Dr. Salzman hosted back in 2020 and 2021. We hope you enjoy today's episode, PPE Programs at Universities, a little throwback to a COVID discussion Dr. Salzman had last year. If you enjoy the podcast, you can join Dr. Salzman live on Zoom each quarter for his next discussion, where you'll have access to an extra 60 minutes of Q&A and discussion. Visit atlassociety.org backslash events to register for the next webinar. And as always, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and follow the podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you feel so inclined, please share with friends. As a 501c3 nonprofit, the Atlas Society relies on our faithful followers and donors to make the work that we do here possible. So we appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome everyone to Morals and Markets. Now, I want to make sure, I think you can hear me, wave if you can. I want to make sure, thank you, Nikhil. I want to make sure I can hear you. So this is my button to make sure. So Nikhil, say something uh, provocative. Uh, taxation is theft. <laughs> Try again. I you could, you oh, couldn't I hear me that time? <laughs> I can hear you what, now. What about over the four, last four years? <laughs> I couldn't hear you at first, so I'm, I'm assuming it's not a swear word. Thank you, Nikhil. Great to see you again. Um, welcome, everyone. I first want to thank the Atlas Society. This is a very exciting night for me. I've been doing this since May, and I realized I did 15 of these. So I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about morals and markets, and then we'll dive into our topic tonight, which is PP&E. And some of you, I can tell on the phone call, know a bit about PPD or a lot about it. And some of you I know have told me ahead of time, you'd, it's an introduction for you. So um, first things first, I want to thank the Atlas Society because uh, Jennifer Grossman, who's uh, the president, and I want to thank David Kelly, Dr. Kelly, and then Dr. Stephen Hicks. They've all been just great. Emily Brown is head of student programs. And Emily's been an enormous help to me, as, as has Aaron uh, Redding. So thank you, Atlas Society folks. Uh, and um, the, the origin of this last May, and Nikhil and others, I think, were involved from the beginning. I started missing my students. I missed them, and I wrote them. And then I said, how about some doing some stuff outside of class? Or some of you were graduates and on to other things. And I thought, well, how about a session every couple of weeks uh, uh, talking about some issue from the PPE perspective? And uh, actually every two weeks is a bit much. So now we're on a monthly schedule. And originally uh, you may remember we did maybe an hour and we always went overboard. And so this one, we carved out 90 minutes thinking 90 minutes might be better. The format is usually I say something for 20 minutes or so. Uh, sometimes it goes a little bit over, but that's my goal. I start with introductory comments. You know, from the emails I sent out uh, or that Atlas Society sent out, I also have suggested readings. So there's links to various readings, totally optional. You don't have to do too much work for this, but just in case you want to learn more, you go to these links, you go to these readings and learn more. Um, and let me just give you a flavor. I have it in front of me um, of, the, of the kind of topics we've covered in prior sessions. So the very first one we did was last May. And if you remember, there were shortages associated with the, uh, 
the coronavirus and things like that. So the very first one we did was price gouging and profiteering. So you could tell from the beginning, this is kind of provocative topics, uh, a little off-center, a little different take on things. But, but even the seminar itself, morals and markets, when you think about it, if you asked a uh, philosopher, he'd say, or she'd say, what's morals got to do with markets? You know, markets are about self-interest and maximizing utility and things like that, if you know the language of economics. And they would say, that's, just, that's not moral. Moral is, is compassion, altruism, kindliness, not this profit-seeking, profit-maximizing thing that goes on in markets. So part of what I want to do is integrate moral theory with market activity and show that, uh, indeed, a lot of the egoistic activity that goes on in markets is precisely moral. Now, the other thing we covered last May, seems like months ago, years ago, decades ago, maybe. The second one was crisis in public health policy. And my argument was kind of provocative there. It was like, unwealthy is unhealthy. You do not help the health of citizens by shutting down the economy. Um, in June, we discussed policing. That was controversial. Riots were going on. People were arguing for the defunding of police. So that theme was something like defund or defend the police. Uh, in June, they were doing the big fiscal stimulus, as they call them, stimulus packages. So we discussed that. Uh, got a little more philosophical in July. Had two sessions in a row. One was on varieties of anti-capitalism, all the ways that, that groups and people can be against capitalism. So capitalism is getting it from all sides, if you will. Uh, in August, we did just anarchism versus capitalism. So there was a subset of the libertarian argument that says, you know, the state itself is a problem. You got to get rid of the state. And so we talked about that. Then we turned in uh, September to monetary policy, kind of technical, but I have some great students who really know monetary theory and policy. So that one was leveraged off of the Fed announcing that it would no longer follow the Phillips curve. Oh, that's really too technical for tonight. So I'll just leave it at that. Then we did woke CEOs and stakeholder theory. So the whole theory of whether corporate managers should be serving shareholders, which is the old Milton Friedman view, or whether instead uh, they should be serving a broader audience called stakeholders. We talked about that. Now, in October, I have to confess, we covered something that I did not think would be relevant, but we covered it anyway. It was the, it was the Bernie Sanders Biden manifesto. Remember that thing? It was like 80 pages long and we're reading through all the changes they would make were they to uh, win office. They did win office, if you haven't followed the headlines. So the title of that was The Biden Manifesto, How Would America Change? Wow. It is changing. After that, threats to judicial independence. I, that hasn't come yet, but that was the controversy about whether the Supreme Court would be packed or not added, whether seats would be added or not. I still think that might be coming up. So uh, judicial independence, is that a, a key part of a constitutionally limited government and capitalist system or not? Uh, October, just before the election, we covered the whole issue of polls and pundits and things like that. And how accurate are they or not? And does it affect people voting or not? Uh, then we did a little retrospective on the election. And now in November, we were doing Big Pharma. Now remember, they hadn't come out with a um, vaccine yet. We did a big thing, though, on Big Pharma and you know whether pharma companies should be def 
independent or not. We also discussed a little bit big tech. So the, the attack on tech, uh, the social media companies by both parties, actually, you know, whether they should be trust busted or not. And then the last uh, session we did was in uh, February, effective altruism, which if you've been in college, you know, Pete, Peter Seeger, I think, is the Princeton professor who does that, has been doing that for years. But the idea that students, here's the idea, which I criticized, students should not really pursue their passion or their interests when they leave college. They should go make as much money as possible and then give it away to, uh, for altruistic reasons to other causes. And I kind of called that slavish labor. I thought it was a, I, I thought it's a really bad idea to go pursue a career, which takes so much work when you think about it. It's really hard to figure out a major and specialize in it and pick a career. And it's an enormous effort. So you really need to be motivated. I would say self-interested in that whole process. So, okay, that is a quick rundown of four, I don't know, that's 14 or 15 topics. Just give you a flavor of the kind of stuff that's covered. Now, I would call that applied PPE. And so to back off a little bit, let's get a little deeper and talk about uh, PP&E itself. Now, if you heard PP&E over the last year, you, you look it up and it says, uh, you know, I don't know, personal protective equipment, right? Because we're in the COVID era, but that's not what I mean. And so those of you students out there, you know, PP&E means philosophy, politics, and economics. And there are PP&E programs thankfully, at major universities, there's dozens of them. And I'm in one at Duke. I've had great colleagues at Duke. I've been in the PP&E program there, I think about, I don't know, going on seven or eight years now teaching it. It's in the political science department at Duke. These PP&E programs don't have to be in poli-sci. Sometimes they're in econ, some rarely in philosophy. They're mostly in political science departments. But here's the idea. Here's the basic idea. You cannot really understand the world if you're only looking at it from an economic lens or if you're only looking at it from a political lens or if you're only looking at it from a philosophic lens. Now, let's back up a minute and remember, specialization is a good thing. Adam Smith told us that if you specialize in business and elsewhere that you will uh, create the wealth of nations I and mean, you will specialize, you'll become smarter, You'll become a more adept in your field. And certainly that is true also in the intellectual fields. Uh, if you look at human history, uh, especially since the Enlightenment, what has it been? It's been a series of increasingly specialized study, disciplines it's sometimes called, fields. And, and there would not be, I don't think, great intellectual advances without this specialization. But, but, here's the big but. Sometimes it can become too isolated. Sometimes these fields become so isolated and specialized, they're almost living in silos, if you will. They don't talk to each other anymore. They don't really interact enough. And so the buzzword is multidisciplinary. If you have a more multidisciplinary approach, you uh, see the bigger picture. Uh, you learn from each other in different fields. And uh, PP&E, you could think about it as... Um, integration and multidisciplinarity in the social sciences. Now it is just those three. Sometimes it brings in psychology. Sometimes it brings in sociology. Sometimes it brings in law. So there's even PPL programs, philosophy, politics, and law. But the general idea is 
things. You are enormously benefited, not only as a student, but just as a citizen to be able to, and it isn't easy, to be able to be adept in and find the connections between them. So now the history, this is the centenary of PP&E programs, believe it or not, or roughly it was last year. They began in Oxford University in Britain in 1920. So Oxford first came up with the idea and not to go too much and go into the gory details of the history, but if you go back to the beginning of political economy, Adam Smith in Scotland was originally a moral philosopher, all right? But then he became the founder of political economy, 1776, with the wealth of nations. So that alone is an example of someone who is erudite because he knows at least two fields, but Smith actually also knew law. So he had lectures on jurisprudence, all right, really just a multifaceted guy. And that probably, I think, contributed a lot to why the Wealth of Nations was so great and so influential. Okay, but now fast forward a long time, Marx, I would, by the way, in the mid 1800s, I would say Marx was a PP&E. I, I don't, I wouldn't say scholar, that's a little too nice to Marx, but he was definitely PP&E. I mean, he did philosophy, politics, and economics. He's not most known for the economics, but the whole revolution theory and things like that, that's, that's politics. Okay, but here's what happened in the late 1900s. The two fields, especially politics and economics, went their separate ways. They bifurcated. And most of it was due to the 1870s, what I would call the neoclassical revolution. The neoclassicals said, you know what our role model is? Physics. We want to be scientific. We want to get away from those political guys who are just making stuff up. We want to be rigorous. We want to be mathematical. And so that's where you get terms, by the way, like equilibrium, velocity, and stuff like that. They were literally borrowing the terms and aping the methods of the physicists. Now, the neoclassical school was, was good, was brilliant. but And that started about 1870 or so. But by the turn of the set, well, by 50 years after that, Oxford was saying, what the heck? The two fields are not talking to each other. We now have not political economy. We have political science and economics, and they are not talking to each other. Uh, now, right around this time, Keynes became famous. John Maynard Keynes, 1919, uh, The Economic Consequences of the Peace, a critique of the post-World War I settlement, where if you, if you know your history, you know reparations were imposed on Germany. And Keynes opposed this. The more important point, though, is Keynes is a... PP&E guy. Keynes did politics and he did moral theory in a way. He worried about the money mode, what he called the money motive and its corrupting influences. But he was most famously known, of course, for the 1936 treatise, The General Theory, a book that was turned into a textbook by Paul Samuelson in, I don't know, something like 15 editions between 1948 and 1992. And it taught that book, that Keynesian textbook, taught millions of people. So talk about the influence of um, a PP&E approach. I'm not sure Keynes would have been that influential had he not also been politically and morally influential, uh, or at least adopting other morals, the morals of other folks. Okay, so Oxford is doing this and trying this. and But what it's basically doing is telling students uh, you need to study these three fields. 
And so we'll, he will recommend, you know, go over to Econ and take these, go over to PolySci, make sure you take these, make sure you have a little mix of these three things and you'll probably be better off. And they were, and Britain started producing very famous political leaders and other business leaders who had a background in PP&E. So gradually over the years, people came to see that, wow, PP&E students and PP&E trained people are just better conceptual thinkers. They're better able to make connections between things. That was the whole point of it. Now, I would name the mid eighties, uh, people can just sort of differ over this, but I think when James Buchanan won the Nobel prize in 1986, it gave a great impetus to a return to a synthesis of what we would call political economy. So that, that's what he was known for. He headed with Gordon Tullock, he headed basically what's known as the public choice school. So the public choice school integrates economics and politics. It basically brings into politics the methods and assumptions of economics. It says, you know what, political leaders are just as self-interested and just as much maximizers as market makers. And we need to get away from the romantic view of politicians as altruistic public servants. Um, and as a result, we'll have a more realistic view of politics. Now, forgetting the, forgetting the political spectrum for a while, because I don't want to overemphasize this, the value of PP&E is the integrative approach. It's not the idea that it represents left, right, or center, because you can find all kinds of PP&E all along the spectrum. Uh, in the 1970s, John, John Kenneth Galbraith was a good example of a left-leaning PP&E guy and a guy who actually complained that economics was too mathematical, too detached from reality, uh, too unwilling to engage with political debate. So, uh, so when Buchanan wins this Nobel Prize in the mid-80s, I think there's a greater appreciation for political economy. Now, bringing it up to the present... I would say, and I'm so glad to see Professor Anomaly here. So if you can hear me, I'm gonna ask him to weigh in because he and I worked together at Duke. Um, and that's when I began to learn more about the history of PP&E. And he is the practitioner of it and a theorist of it. And by the way, look at this, look at this great performance. I don't know if you can see this, but there's, here's this PP&E book from 2015, pretty thick. It's Professor Anomaly, Professor Munger, who I work with at Duke, Professor Brennan, who was a close associate of Buchanan for many years. I think Buchanan died in 2013 or so. So Dr. Brennan is at Australia National University and teaches and also at UNC. So Professor Anomaly, at UNC, at Duke, now at UPenn. Uh, Munger's, I'm working with Munger at Duke. Another one, Jeff Sarah McCord, a philosopher at UNC Chapel Hill. Point is, in the last 20 years, last time I checked, there are at least two dozen, maybe more, but two dozen really uh, high quality PPE programs at various universities. Uh, not just Duke and UPenn, some of the Ivies, uh, Notre Dame, Michigan, uh, growing leaps and bounds. And I think it's a good and positive thing. We can talk about applications of it, but it's a, I think it's a positive thing because knowledge should be integrated as far as I can see. You, you check your work, so to speak, by checking it against other disciplines. Now, before I 
before I ask Professor Anomaly to say a few words, let me just give you examples of stuff that's come up over the years. If I said to you, we should enact a fairer tax code. That's a fairly simple statement, right? We should enact a fairer tax code. That's PP&E. You could not answer that just by economics or just by philosophy or just by politics. So what part of it is, okay, we should enact, that sounds like political. That means we need a political coalition to enact and in law. And that there's a whole science behind that. How does that happen? How do you get popular support or not for something, right? But a tax code, now the economist's ears perk up as a tax, taxes. Oh, taxes affect the economy. It's fiscal policy. Uh, well, yes, now I'm interested. I don't know how we're going to pass that, but I'm an economist and I'll tell you what effects it'll have on incentives and investment and savings. So, okay, but then I also said fair. Oh my God, here's where the philosopher comes in and says, I'll tell you what's fair or what's just and you know what the tax rates would be. And the, this is where the economist gets off and says, I'm, I'm not, I know nothing about fairness and and I don't, I'm not going to opine on that. See, so just something as simple as we need a fair tax code. I mean, I would argue that unless you have PP&E, it's, uh, you know, it's hard to answer those kind of questions or even begin to investigate. All right, just quickly, other example, healthcare is a right. What if I said to you, healthcare is a right. We have Obamacare, we have a healthcare sector, we have economics in there. It's a right. That sounds like a political issue. Sounds like a philosophic issue. Inequality is unfair. Inequality of what? Income, political rights, voting. Government has to fix market failure. Did you ever hear that one? Sweatshops are exploitative. Workers deserve a living wage, maybe even a guaranteed universal basic income. That's a mix of three different fields, I think. Or how about this one? We have to stop climate change to benefit future generations. Wow. It take hours to unpack that. Oh, this president said this the other day. Trickle-down trickle economics doesn't work. What the heck is trickle-down economics? It's supply-side economics. It's from the Reagan years. Uh, Professor Anomaly and others have a whole section of this book. It's called Markets on the Margin. What does that mean? Really weird stuff like, should prostitution be legal? Uh, should drugs be criminalized or not? What about buying and selling human organs? What about price gouging and other things, right? So on the margin, meaning really controversial, usually banned, but arguments for why? Why should they be banned? Why can't we uh, trade and sale and those things? Um, I'm going to leave aside for a moment because I don't want to go on too long. Uh, samples of syllabuses we use, syllabi we use in introductory PP&E and in the capstone. But um, all right, now seeing Professor Anomaly, do you want to chime in here? I would love to hear from you and because you know so much about this and have been teaching it for so long. Um, not to put you on the spot. I want to talk too much. We should probably open it up pretty soon here, but um, give me your thoughts. The only the only thoughts I have are, you know, little bits of disagreement. One is, although a lot of what goes on in America in PPE programs 
is friendly to economics and more broadly to liberty for this audience. Many PPE programs were founded by libertarians like, like Mike Munger at Duke and, and Jeffrey Brennan and so on, but many are not. And there is a famous essay by Robert Conquest. And after Robert Conquest, we get something called Conquest Second Law, which is that every institution that's not explicitly right-wing ends up left-wing. <laughs> And, oh, I never, uh, heard, I never heard that. Wow. We're, we're seeing that with PPE right now, which uh -huh. is there's a steady leftward move. Really? Because oh, okay. And this is one of the problems. It's become so popular, um, especially in the United States, but also in the UK, that what's happening is a lot of philosophy departments, as, as they've gone woke over the last five to 10 years, they've lost students, actually. They're not gaining them that way. They're losing them. But... Okay. They then turn to PPE and they say, well, let's start a PPE program to save the philosophy department, which is exactly the wrong motivation. And you could see why then they would suck PPE in a leftward direction. And that's uh -huh. going on. I won't name the institutions because I don't know. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah, it's happening. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's a nice overview. So that's interesting. That trend is interesting. I, I think uh, some of the what I would call the founders yeah. of uh, PPE programs, um, you know, would go on to consult with other universities who wanted to set them up. Yeah. And there's, so there's always, um, there's always like conflicts about uh, whether there's trenching on certain departments or not. But yes, in cases where departments are losing matriculation, they'll say anything to fill the seats, anything to bring more in. And so sometimes it, ends being, it ends up being a bit of a, a pitch to try to yeah. get majors and yeah. Look, this is an instance of what you just mentioned, public choice theory from James yeah. Buchanan. I mean, universities are, are like any other political institution. And so they're going to maneuver in ways that get them money and power and influence and so on. And so, yeah, that's one of the things you see. And, and anytime, you, anytime you see these uh, requirements, you guys have all had them. Some of you are former college students or current ones. And you wonder, like, why do I have to take this strange anthropology class that's trying to indoctrinate? indoctrinate? And it's like, well, it's because the department was losing students. And so they lobbied the university to make you take it because nobody wanted to take it. You know, right. <laughs> this, this stuff happens, too, with PPE. But is it, wouldn't you agree that some of it is um, anxieties over where is my first job or what career should I pursue? So, you know, we would, you remember, we would talk to philosophy students and they would be the most nervous because they would feel like, wow, I have no practical skills. But if I take a, if I get a PPE certificate attached to my yeah, yeah. philosophy degree, maybe I'll be better off. Probably now, the, e, the econ students would tell me um, yeah. if I interview and I come across as a robot, you know, who only knows how to do simultaneous equations and things like that, I need to know a bit about politics and philosophy. So, and in poli sci, they know nothing about economics. I mean, they couldn't draw a supply and demand curve if their life depended on it. Um, I think that's a little less true in Duke and other places where they care about political economy. But so, yeah. so each of the students majoring in these other things has a motive to dip their toe in in PPE. Now at Duke, the other difference, right, uh, Professor, is is it a certificate or a minor or a major? Well, you could see why it wouldn't be a major because the whole point of a major is you're specializing. So people have actually just this and they said, wait a minute, it makes no sense to major in PPE because it's three different fields. How could you possibly do that? But it is a minor 
isn't it a, still a minor at UNC? At UNC, I think. Um, and UNC. A lot of this is political, though. I don't know how interesting the students will find it. I mean, this is more just like that's how you start a program. Often it's easier to start a minor and then you hope to build a major. At Penn, PP is the biggest major we have, actually. So somewhat surprisingly, ah, wow. it's bigger than economics or, you know, I guess the next up would be some pre-med major. It's big at Oxford, too. But actually, to correct one other thing, you know, I spent a lot of time there. And interestingly, Oxford PPE, I think, is a terrible program. It's really misconceived because what happens is you have to take one class in each of the three and then you just specialize. So yeah. you can just do nothing but Plato scholarship and you get a PPE degree. Yeah. So that's kind of an odd thing. Whereas in America, we like to integrate a bit of game theory, political economy, history of political economy, ethics, you know, so.